Welcome to the Giant Leadership Podcast, where we help leaders like you get the knowledge and skills you need to impact more people and live the life you've always wanted. Get ready to experience tools, tips, and advice by the co-founders of Giant and best-selling authors, Jeremy Kubacek and Steve Cockrum. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the Giant Leadership Podcast. I'm Jeremy Kubitschek, as always, with Steve Cockrum, my British... I just like to say that. My British friend. (laughs) Hello, Steve. How you doing, brother? I am well, Jeremy. Thank you. Yes, very excited. I I confess this week was one of the... a painful one when... you know when you get your Facebook memories? It was two years ago that you and I last were physically in the same place on our romantic week away in Cancun. And uh, we've not yes. seen each other since. But we are meeting in San Antonio in less than three weeks' time. And I don't know about you, but I've been ticking the days off on my calendar because obviously I miss you far more than you miss me. <laughs> well, uh, and again, I always have to say uh, the caveat, and our <laughs> wives were there in Cancun too. <laughs> and, I always say, and I always say it so that you have to then put the disclaimer that <laughs> your Baptist roots die hard, Jeremy. I, did, I, I know that. I I did see that your your wife did bring you a cup of tea just now. Is that right? Hold it she up. Did. Show show the yes. You got your cup, yeah, of, tea, yeah. cup uh, of tea, which is yeah, awesome. Twin Cities. Yeah, very one of the many airports British. that I've been through over the years. <laughs> well, um, so how you been, man? How you been since we last talked? Gosh, good. I think. I mean, I, I said last time that life is pretty much back to normal here which is exciting. And then just when we thought we got it all back to normal, uh, Mr. Putin invades <laughs> Ukraine hey, and changes everything. Do you owe so, me anything? I, I, I was about to say, because I know what your connectors are like, it has to be said, Jeremy, <laughs> you were right and I was wrong. I was working on the assumption <laughs> that we were dealing with somebody who was sane and we're obviously not. So, uh, yeah, oh apart from gosh. the fact that <laughs> the, the other news in the cock world is our house purchase is going through. That is a miracle. Nine years after um, we started Giant Worldwide together, that was always one of my goals, to buy Mrs. Cochran a house. Sadly, we've had to sell a lot of our shares at just the wrong moment, thanks to Vladimir. So, uh, But we will have enough for our deposit and stamp duty, so we will move in about two and months' just time. To make sure people know that not shares in Giant, uh, no, no, no. Other no, shares. No. <laughs> uh, other shares, Jeremy. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> slightly more liquid. Uh, why would I sell something that just keeps appreciating week by week in there value you at the moment. There so there you go. What about you? What have you um, and You know, the thing I love about English homes is they all have names for the most part. And I wish yeah. they would do that in America, but we're too grid system-ish, you know? It's like <laughs> 1901, 1902, all these different you know numbers. But over there, you've got house. So what's the house name? Well, at the moment, it's called Craner. But we are, because being a true Brit, we're going to see if we can rename our house to be more meaningful. So we're going to call our house, if we're allowed, Wilbrook House. And for those of you Wilbrook who House, uh, yes. know us will know that that was when we lived in Pawleys Island, South Carolina, y'all. We lived on Wilbrook Plantation. And uh, it was always the happiest place of our children's lives. So when asked what should we call it, they all wanted to call it Wilbrook House. So there we go. Um, there hopefully you, you and Kelly and the gang will get to come and stay soon. Absolutely. We've just not had enough giants coming to visit for the last couple of years. So all exciting. Yeah. Uh, that's good. Well, I just returned from, uh, North Carolina 
Uh, we had one of our friends, uh, Kevin Bailey, owns a lodge, mm-hmm. the Topoka Lodge. It's this unbelievably cool. It's like a movie set. Um, <laughs> in fact, our Kevin guest, is very cool. Our guests would like it. He probably could use it for a movie set. But the movie that uh, set was The Fugitive. If you saw The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. No way. Uh, oh, wow. When he jumped off the dam, the dam yeah. was right there, right next to it. And uh, but we had 50 giants. We ha- it was so fun. Um, we had uh, 50, 45 plus HQ. Um, they were all new coaches and, and consultants from around the actually around the world. And they came in and we had three days. It was just unbelievable and activating people and showing them how to use giant as a as a platform for for income and impact. And man. So fun. So any of you who are listening, the early plug, giantworldwide.com, <laughs> if you're interested in becoming a coach or consultant or adding it to your repertoire. But it was really, really fun to be back with people. And, uh, you know, having that size of group has been two years or more. So it was yeah. it was a blast. I know all my... Wish you can- there. Wish you, you could have been there. Well... I could have, but I wasn't invited, so that's another sore point, but don't worry. No. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I think the thing is, though, I, I know that of all the voices, the connectors in my life and my world have struggled most with not being able to be with people in groups. So it was two years ago we did the the marriage retreat in Cancun. I'm like, wow. In some yeah, ways it feels absolutely. like a long time ago, but um, it's, it's just so lovely to be able to do those things. And I'm t- we're taking another group of giants from this part of the world. We're going to Cyprus um, at the end of April um, on a strategic retreat, if my wife asks. Uh, the fact we're going to yes. the, uh, the Artemis Hotel Bath and Spa Resort is probably the real retreat reason, or first gear as we call it in giants. So. Isn't that where all the oligarchs are going? Uh, with their y- That's yachts, why they're leaving as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, they've all, they've all been impounded in Cyprus. Um, yeah, let's just say there was oh a lot more gosh. Russians in Cyprus than anywhere else. But no, it's been good. It's been very, very fun. So, well, uh, did they get your yacht or or no? no well, if you still have it? No, it's kind of. <laughs> well, I think my my yacht is just it goes up and down the bath with me when I'm in it. That's probably the size of the yacht I have. <laughs> but we have Giant One, which well, is the airplane. Giant Two, which is. Yes the helicopter and then we have giant three which is the big boat which i've never been allowed to use yet so anyway there we go (laughs) well um man what what a crazy turn of events how who would have thought we would be sitting here in such a short time with that Mm -hmm. amount of devastation and it's probably just getting started and as far Mm -hmm. as what that looks like right so what's the public view what's the english view of what's going on because you're obviously closer and even last night they you know bombarded a nuclear power plant <laughs> power station and boris johnson gets up and yeah you know, but what's the general view of uh what's happening from your seat oh, gosh i mean i think what is just stunned disbelief that we're watching basically what looks like scenes from the second world war being replayed in a time when i think most people didn't think we would go there again. I think as well that the um, there's just massive admiration for the Ukrainian people and its leaders, um, and just stunned at the kind of the, their desire, whatever it takes. They're not going back into be part of Russia, and they'd rather go and fight and die. You know, and I'm just you know challenging the fact what what sort of commitment would we have? 
And I think there's just a, I don't know. I, I think people are aware of the complexities of going, you know, you know, yes, we'd love a no-fly zone, but are we really ready to shoot down Russian planes at the moment? And what does that mean? But I think that in some ways, the more the more the brutality and just the indiscriminate bombing of civilians and killing of civilians goes on, I think there will be a groundswell of opinion that begins to move mm -hmm. that actually if you don't take a stand for Ukraine, are you going to do it for Moldova? Are you going to do it for... Because Putin, you know, um, it has to be suggested he isn't going to stop. He wants to redraw the old map. Um, and, you know, <laughs> one of his cronies actually had a picture taken with the map yeah. of where he was going next. So it's like... So you have to go before I'd have said nobody could possibly be that much... Nobody could do that. Well, I think the reality now is with him pretty sure he could do anything and we've probably been never closer to you know could he press a nuclear warhead well the good news is i heard you know some american retired admiral say well there's so many people in the command chain for nuclear that it's not easy just for one person to press go but i think we're we're in very difficult territory and i just don't know how he backs out of it i don't know mm -hmm. how having gone this far there is any way back um, with face saving. So that's my take on it. It's pretty depressing, just utter admiration. And I think in some senses, there will come a point where probably hopefully NATO are thinking about it at the moment to go, what is it we can do? But Russia's a massive army and they've been preparing for this for a while. But you're the expert on Russia, Jeremy, as was proved last time. So um, I don't know what you're, what's the take? What, what's the take from America? For those who don't know, I lived in Moscow in 1993 to 95. I lived, you know, in the midst of the Russian people, learned Russian, I studied uh, Russian um, history um, and did a lot of work on understanding Stalin and mentality. And it's really an interesting one because the at the core of the nationalist belief of Russia is like this desire to be something. And it's been there forever. And I think Putin's last hurrah was his legacy. You know, he's putting it together. The interesting part about it, what I feel so bad for, I mean, I feel horrible, obviously, for the Ukrainian, Ukrainian people and what's happening. But I do feel bad for the average Russian yes. who is becoming a pariah as well, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. The whole entire world is now stopping, you know, any services. And so, therefore, if you're a Russian, you, unfortunately, leaders define culture and Putin has defined a culture that all Russians are now fitting in and under. So I think I think everything is anti-Russia here and in America. And it it does bring back up the fervor of the Cold War because most of us, if you think about um, if you think about, you know, my whole thing of most influence happens between 55 and 70. And mm -hmm. so the leadership that are in the 50s to 5 to 70, we were all in the Cold War growing up. So it's almost like it feels like high school, college again, because this is what we were dealing with then, right? And so now everyone kind of brings back in the James Bond references, the, you know, Cold War, Red Dawn, you know, all of these references. It's like in us here to be like, yep, that's our mortal enemy. And um, it's just fascinating that you can kind of feel it, the pulse of like anger. Uh, towards the Russians, yeah. the other the other person who's been 
I mean, an amazing character is President Zelensky or <laughs> Zelensky, whatever it is. Zelensky. Um... There you go. Obviously, my false teeth don't say that easily. But here's someone who was, to get it right, he was an actor playing the president in a TV series, came in on an anti-corruption to put things right, and is probably the most statesmanlike, most trustable leader I've seen on television in a long time. And the bit where, you know, Biden offered him a chance to, to leave and come to America, and, and he said, I don't need a taxi, I need, I need ammunition. And it's just like, what courage to actually say, actually, I believe in something enough that I'm prepared to give my life for it. And, you know, they always say that basically if you want people to fight, you attack their family and you attack their faith. Um, and I don't know how it ends because I'm not sure the Ukrainians are going to back down um, anytime soon. And I'm certain that the Russians aren't either. I, You know, I think, Steve, I think this is a TikTok war. I think I don't think uh, Putin was ready for the social media, I think he's really good at tradecraft, which we're going to get into here with our guest. But I yes. don't think he was really good with social media and understanding. So his long table being away from mm -hmm. people and his power plays from an ivory tower versus Zelensky, who's in the bunkers yeah. and he's working, he's on the streets. So the social media game, I mean, I saw, uh, it's brilliant, the Ukrainian soldiers are, are giving the Russian... Uh, you know, FaceTiming their moms, they're recording mm. the soldiers crying yeah. and then sending it out. Well, I read this morning that America is even talking uh, about what if we is one proposal is what if we um, it was in the Wall Street Journal. What if we actually give soldiers the right to leave if they choose to leave? We'll sanction or we'll give them a location or freedom to to go anywhere they want until Putin is out. And you incentivize the soldiers to get rid of Putin. So it's just social media and that game. I don't think that Putin was ready for it. But but that's what we're going to yeah. get into with our guests. Should we should we get our guests? Should we have one question? Let's right, do ahead, one Steve. question because we always promise. Tra okay. Tracy, hopefully, who runs the show, look at that, appears as if by magic. Hello, Tracy. Um, Tracy, do you have a question for Jez and I today from any of our millions of listeners around the world? I do. It's a, actually a pertinent, very, very good question for your discussion right here. Lara, she's saying, the last few years have been very difficult for everyone, obviously, and the Russian situation has made it another layer on top of that. So how do leaders give hope to their people in the midst of such difficult times? Why don't you go first this time, Jess? Great question, yeah, Tracy. Yeah, it's a great, it, it is a great question. So, you know, uh, uh, hope is, is really um, a desire for something, what you hope for, what you want to see happen, right? And when you constantly are um, oh, wearing masks, when you're constantly locked down, when you're constantly, when you're, everything is changing, I think that you have to find hope in other things. And so it's almost like micro hope, macro hope, right? And so the micro hope is kind of where you start, which you start with small things, which is what what can you, what are you hopeful for in your family? What are you hopeful for in your home? What are you hopeful for? And you have to rebuild hope. Um, you have to start small because a lot of the bigs, you can look at the world right now and go, it's hopeless. Meaning there's so many dissatisfactions and there's not much vision. It's hopeless. Well, the dust off vision, you have to start with micro vision. You have to start with the little things around you so that you can kind of control what you can control 
and kind of build back into hope. That's my my quick blink. Steve? Yeah, it's really good. Um, I think the, 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 the giant tool that comes to mind for me, uh, Tracy, was or Laura, was discretion and discipline. Um, discretion and discipline says it's really important for leaders to decide what they're going to share, when they're going to share it, and who they're going to share it with. And I think the reality is that leaders are not superhuman. They have their own issues. They have their own struggles. They have their own insecurities. We all do. And when the world is like it is, I would say it's really important for leaders to be even more intentional of what they share publicly into the realm with the people they lead. But it's to do that, they have to have a space and a safe place where they can really share how they really feel. They can share their disappointments, their frustrations, their angers. They've got to get have a safe place to be able to get out their own issues so that when you show up and you're actually leading your people, families, organizations, whatever it may be, you are not pr- practicing your communication for the first time. You've actually had a chance to get rid of the poison or get rid of the anger or fire off a few grenades. And therefore, what you share is more measured. And it's almost like at times like that, intentional leadership is not acting because it's not like you're lacking integrity. But what you're doing is you're being very, very careful because people watch for your body language. They would listen to your words. And in times of real challenge and stress, I always feel that the the impact leaders have is magnified because people are looking to go, are you worried? Are you concerned? Are you struggling? Because then it gets magnified. When everything's going great, people can cope with you being having a bad day when it's really everyone's up against it. And that's why, you know, watching leadership happen at the moment in Ukraine, if you think about it, I'm absolutely certain there are dark moments in the bottom sellers and wondering what on the earth's going on. Should we be, you know, is it better to surrender and save the bombing? But actually, when it comes to what comes out on television, what comes out in the sound bites is that absolute confidence that says, I'm here, we're not going anywhere. And that's a leader, I believe, being very intentional mm-hmm. in the midst of challenge. So that's, you know, to complement what Jeremy said, that's a great question. Yeah. And for those of you who want to ask us a question, um, Tracy, where do they send a question into? Yeah, just go to hello at giantworldwide.com. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Hey, I, every week we try to bring on someone in uh, a friend or someone in the giant world today. I'm super excited to bring on Doug Patterson. Doug is in Barrington, New New Hampshire. Hello, Doug. How you doing, bro? I'm doing well. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, we've known Doug for a number of years. Uh, the interesting thing about Doug, and here's what we want to do to bring him into the giant world. Um, Doug is a CFO of a company called TurboCam, uh, a global manufacturing business and, and just an amazing um, leader. But what what you don't know, and this is really the fun part, is Doug is a former spy um, and he is also a um, he's a movie advisor, movie consultant, um, producer for a number of movies, which we'll talk about as well. And so you have a fascinating life, Doug. And I thought, oh, what a perfect time to bring you in to talk a little <laughs> bit of a Russian spycraft. You cool with that? Absolutely. Yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> I have to say, Doug, I was very unimpressed with the fact that Jeremy cracked your identity and you confessed everything in a very short period of time. I'm thinking, it's, it's I, how did he do it? Is it, Jeremy's always wanting to be James Bond, <laughs> and it's a bit like he's going, "I've cracked a 
spy. We're going to bring him on. I'm like, okay. So, Let's... Doug, um, I'm sorry you had to be subjected to Jeremy's dark arts of interrogation. Waterboarding. Frank was waterboarding. What you don't no, no, know, no. Steve, is as as you were talking earlier about the need for um, compartmentalization and in, in, as a leader. I controlled absolutely what I wanted Jeremy to know in that moment. Yeah. And I've known Jeremy for a long time. So um, it. It, it took about 10 years to get there. <laughs> so basically you're a, you're a double agent. who's now using Jeremy, manipulating him to communicate what you want to communicate. I, I knew it. I knew it. I, I, I won't tell him if you do. I won't. So, so Doug, Hey, give our listeners an overview of your past. What have you done? And then get into the movie side as well. Sure. Kind of do that. Would you give us a little background? Yeah, real quick. So I spent 10 years as a uh, CIA officer, almost all of that overseas, trying to avoid headquarters as much as possible. Um, had a ton of fun doing that. Both my wife and I served in that capacity and then um, joined uh, TurboCam after a short stint in private equity. Um, and then along the way, about five or six years ago, started working on film and TV projects. Um, the current project I work on right now is a television show on Sunday nights called SWAT, uh, which most folks can see on CBS. And that's a lot of fun to be part of. Yeah. So what other movies have you done? You've been a part of a few more. Yeah. Share, so share that with us. I've been, been a part mostly of television shows, shows like The Brave, okay. uh, Colony, a few others like that. Uh, we've made some some uh, independent films uh, called Texas Zombie Wars, which are a lot of fun. And then uh, most recently, in fact, you can still see it on uh, most flights right now. I'm in a sh uh, movie that I'm in called The Lost Leonardo, which is showing on um you know, BA, American, Delta, all those uh, airlines flying around the, the world right now and they're in flight entertainment. And it's a, it's a fascinating story about uh, the Salvatore Mundi painting, which was um, recently rediscovered as, as possibly the, the last Leonardo da Vinci painting to be, to be found. Wow. Very cool. Awesome. Um, all right. So here, here we go. I've got a few questions for you. Um, and it's mainly, let's talk first about uh, Russia and from a spy perspective, um, what do you do with bullies? I mean, how does the CIA, because CIA is typically more covert, obviously, and, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, so what's going on with the CIA right now in wartime? And how do you deal with bullies from your perspective? Yeah, I think, well, when I look at what's going on right now, one of the things that, that Putin has kind of handed to us is a phenomenal opportunity to recruit Russian intelligence officers who are looking at what he's doing as unhinged. And so I, I would expect officers all over the world to be, uh, you know, actively reaching out to their local counterparts going, hey, dude, this, you know, this really can't stand. Look at who, look at who's allied with him. It's, it's kind of a rogues gallery. And then look at who's united against him. Uh, there, there's just no way that this, this stands. And, you know, the issues of, um, you know, setting fire to the nuclear facilities, targeting civilians, you know, and, and even the stories we're seeing in the social media war about um, the, the Russian troops never realizing they were going into combat, things like that. All of that can be used uh, to, to kind of engage with and then hopefully push them over the line uh, to get them to, to share information about what's going on and also then to lead into ways to discuss undermining what he, uh, you know, he, what he's trying to do. And, and I think that's really the, the hope at the end of the day is that um, folks inside his administration closest to him stand up and say, this cannot abide. 
uh, obviously the goal of, of CIA is, you know, from a, a spy craft or just the trade. So, so can you give just, this is more for the fun, curious mm -hmm. uh, listener. Uh, what is the normal day, daily work of a spook? I mean, like when, when they're out there, what are they doing? Um, Sure. To change the world in that regard. Well, I guess the, one of the common misconceptions about it is that it's it's um, focused on changing the world. In fact, the primary role of CIA is to steal secrets, right? That's really what CIA is supposed to do is steal secrets that then allow our president and other policymakers uh, to, to make better decisions. Now, along the way, alongside that is a pretty significant role in what we refer to as covert action, right? And and we've seen some of those, um, you know, in the past, including, you know, the killer capture missions in Afghanistan and Iraq for high value terrorists and stuff like that, as well as some of, you know, the, the somewhat you know, spotty history of regime change throughout the world. Um, but its primary role is actually the collection of information. And so the the day-to-day -day would be officers out there meeting with people who have access to information on high value uh, targets, high, you know, information we need. So uh, before Steve asks a question, I've got one more for you. Uh, talk to us about um, Zelensky and what's interesting about how the media is playing you know, their role versus who he, who he really is, or, or, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's appearing as evil versus pure good, but what's your view of, of that? And that, that might be a little bit, does that make sense what I'm yeah, asking? No, no, I, I get it. I mean, it, to me, it's very, it's fascinating to watch this because, um, it, it is being presented as an evil against pure good. And the world is always way more complicated than that. Right. That, you know, you guys noted Zelensky came in on an anti-corruption campaign, but he himself has been accused of, you know, some corruption related issues. He's also been accused of some civil rights related issues inside his country. But right now, clearly in this fight, we're all watching. He's our guy. You know, he's, he's, hmm. he's definitely the, the better, guy in this particular fight and it's easy for everybody to get around and and as an actor he's a hundred percent on top of how do i how do i leverage this i don't want to say manipulate because of that of the negative connotation in it but but really how do i leverage this um and and then kind of move the people where i need them to go and by the people he's he's focused in many respects way more on external borders mm. than he is internal because he's already got all the ukrainian people on his side that's not an issue it's the it's the rest of the world who he's playing this out for, and he's doing it brilliantly. <laughs> I've got one question, Doug, that wasn't on my script, but on the grounds that Jeremy and I often force each other to kind of commit to what we think will happen, mainly so Jeremy can then tell me he was right and I was wrong. But I guess <laughs> as, as you look at the scenario where it is now, what do you what do you see happening over the next three six months sort of time window? Are you hopeful for the future? Love to hear your you know honest opinion. Promise we won't hold you to it or embarrass you in the way Jeremy always does when I get it wrong. That's okay. I'm used to being embarrassed anyway. It's I have four kids. They they make sure that happens <laughs> enough. The um gosh, that's such a huge question, right? You know, on one level, I think they've entered into their new Afghanistan. Um, you know, watching how how quickly they've gotten bogged down. The 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 real wild card, I think, remains Putin's mental state, um, because 
any rational individual looking at it sees that it's untenable. He can't continue this. The world is just going to harden against him. And short of um, leveraging ever increasingly nasty tools, um, I, I don't see any way that he ultimately accomplishes his stated goals at the at the beginning of this. So uh, I think it stays bogged down for quite some period of time because I don't see hi, him having the emotional intelligence to back down, to step back and say, you know, I, have, find a way to unwind it. I think he's going to continue to double down. And that is, as you mentioned early on, the scary part about uh, this because of the nature of, of access he's got and why, again, we hope that there are folks closer to him who are willing to stand up and be um, intentionally disobedient, willfully disobedient. Thank you, Doug. That's um, to, to be honest like that, I really appreciate it because I know it's not easy to commit to something that complex. But again, I think the people who follow us, we, we love trying to understand how do we engage with the world that's there and to have somebody's sure. other's perspective. Here, here's a question back to kind of Spycraft because obviously you know, it's amazing to actually have a chance to hear how leadership functions. What well, One of the questions I have for you is to go, how do spies stay healthy physically and emotionally and mentally? Because I imagine from obviously my extensive watching of Hollywood movies, um, <laughs> how do you how do you actually switch off from that work? How easy is it to, you know, in some ways live a normal life? Or are you always waiting for a knock on the door that someone is coming to get you? Or, you know, just tell us a little bit about how you stayed healthy and how you would see people in that particular world. What do they do to try and keep themselves healthy mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually? Sure. It, I mean, it, I think it's it's actually one of the biggest challenges the organization or the the community, the intelligence community writ large, is grappling with and they're getting better at it over time but it's very very challenging you know to the specific question of how i stayed healthy ultimately it was by leaving um you know i i, I chose to stay married rather than stay in that line of work and mm -hmm. uh you know the the toll on families the toll on marriages is incredibly high it's one of the highest divorce rates of any occupation out there. Right. Um, and when I look at my entering class of officers that I joined with 20 years on, less than 2% of that class was still married to their first spouses, and many of them on three or four uh, spouses along the way. So it's, it's really challenging. The physical fitness part, I think, is one of the easiest aspects of it to, to deal with, right? Um, and largely because you can leverage it in the work. Um, you know, if you build a, a pattern of being outside running, you know, that fits into the natural pattern you've created. If you're going to local gyms, like that gives you opportunities to meet people, be out and about. So, so that's easy. And the, and the organization actually provides uh, paid work time to stay in good shape as well, because there's aspects of that that we need to. It's the uh, mental and emotional health that are much, much more difficult. And I think those who have done it well, do it really well by leveraging a few, few uh, key areas. They have good, strong mentors uh, that they've sought out and that are willing to support them. They typically have really strong um, partners, ha uh, spousal partners to to take care of themselves. And um, they have a, a strong faith basis, uh, I think. And um, there's, there's actually a pretty committed um, Christian community within the intelligence community. And I remember talking to a former um, commanding officer of, of Delta Force, and he said he couldn't have done it if he didn't have uh, God to, to fall back on in those difficult moments to help help him get through that. So I think it's those three key things, but it's incredibly hard. And and um, the, the, the organization has not had a, a good history of providing um, 
mental support for folks that are struggling with PTSD or things like that, that has begun to change pretty significantly, but uh, it's been an ongoing issue. Sorry, I, that was a lot. Wow. No, <laughs> no, that's, that's great. It's a great answer. So, uh, um, Doug, last question, and we'll let you let you go here. But the last question is from uh, now. This is kind of more. It's not as deep as what Steve <laughs> just said. It's just movies, okay? What movie or TV show? Uh, what movie or TV show is uh, the most accurate? And which one might Good be question. the least accurate? You know, to, to sure. spycraft or to spying. So, so or military, it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of my absolute favorite movies is um, a most wanted man, right? So it's Philip Seymour Hoffman's last film. He plays a German spy. Um, it's absolutely brilliant about showing the the nature of spycraft. And no surprise, it was written by you know John Le Carre or however we. How do you say his name? I don't ever even know. John Le Carre, John Le Carre. But anyway, it was one of his his novels that was turned into a film, and it's a brilliant film that shows kind of the moral ambiguity around this. Because at the end of the day, you know what a spy is doing is he's convincing somebody to commit treason against his or her own nation, either for money, ego, or or some other significant motivation, uh, maybe even ideological. But there's treason involved and that comes at a cost. There's lying involved. All of those things change the individuals involved, both sides, both the spy mm -hmm. and the, the asset that they're, they're running. And so um, there's a tremendous ambiguity involved in that. And I think that he does a great job in that film of, of showing that. Um, least realistic. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's countless ones. J James <laughs> Bond is literally the worst spy ever. Right. Everybody knows who he is. He's a drunkard. He's a philanderer. Like he wouldn't pass a physical exam. He wouldn't pass a mental exam. Like, but it's it's oh great fun to watch, but he's the worst spy ever. And and everybody right. dies we can, around we can, him. We, we can edit that bit out. Don't worry. We're never, we're never, we're never slagging off James. <laughs> no, I love it. That's brilliant. Doug. And, and, and another fun um, one that, you know, so we've all seen the movie or many of us have seen the movie taken with Liam Neeson, right? Where, you know, his yes. daughter goes off to Europe and she gets herself into a bind and, and he has to go rescue her. He's the worst dad ever. Like he totally did not prepare his daughter to go out into the world. They had no trust relationship. He gave her no skills and then lets her go off. And, and then he has to come in and save the day as a disaster of a, of a, of a precept there for, for <laughs> it must, it must've done wonders that film for daughters asking to go on a European exchange program on their own. I look at that guy like, there's no way my daughter's ever going there <laughs> because however much I'd probably send Jeremy, but uh, my very particular set of skills do not lend themselves to taking on <laughs> whoever it was he killed oh my in gosh. that bar. When when we were living in London, Ke Kelly and I decided to go on a trip uh, to we're, you know someplace we couldn't go in the U.S. because of how far away. So we went to the Maldives, mm -hmm. and our kids went to camp in America. So we were on the other side of the world at the same time, and we were sitting there, and they had this outdoor movie theater, and it was like popcorn. They had a drink. You're sitting there in this Gilligan's Island kind of bamboo setting, and the movie comes up, and it was taken by Liam Neeson <laughs> on vacation. <laughs> Of all movies, right? You, and you know, Kelly's like, "Oh my gosh, Kelly, Kelly, Kelly would have loved that movie." That's did hilarious. She watch it? <laughs> yeah, Justice. We did. We watched it. It was Justice at the end. That's so, so she funny. loves Liam Neeson now. Yeah, and so, so you know, being anyway. somebody from the intelligence community, it's always you, you can't get too wrapped up in what's right or wrong in the films you're you're watching, and it's one of the reasons I got involved in working on projects like that is to to make them a little bit better. 
right? And without becoming, um, you know, taking them all the way to hyper-realistic, which would bore most people, uh, you know, out of their gourds. <laughs> um, last one for me, Doug. I'm a big fan of SEAL Team. Yep. I don't know if that's where actually, obviously, the CIA play a, you know, a central part in that. And Mandy's been taken at the moment, which is a big issue for me. But I'd love to know <laughs> your take on how, how <laughs> don't worry about this, Jeremy, we can edit this, this is maybe just be uh, for me. But no, how realistic, so how realistic, and also, if it is realistic, how much do they have to be careful they don't give away too much of actually how SEAL teams and CIA operate behind enemy lines? Well, uh, just to bust on the SEALs a little bit, we don't have to worry about TV shows giving stuff away. SEALs are happy to write books about it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, th there's there's so much information out there that that worrying about giving away, you know, what we call TTPs, technique, tactics, techniques, and procedures on films and TV shows is... Um, you know, it, it's I don't think we have to worry about it too much. There's not really that many bad guys that are picking up new stuff. Uh, you know, Snowden gave far more away than than SEAL Team does well, in, WikiLeaks. in a real <laughs> yeah, real yeah. sense. Exactly. And so um, but but we do have to like so I've got a, a lifelong commitment to not reveal classified information. And so so anybody that's advising on shows like that does have to find their line uh, of what's actually allowed to be shared versus versus not. And uh, it's pretty interesting looking at some of the technologies being used by those guys today and what's being shared on on TV. And, and sometimes there's some intentional dissembling that's taking place in some of those shows as well. Wow. Love it. Doug, thank you for being with us. Brother. Yeah, thanks. You and uh, yeah, thanks for your insights. Absolutely. Happy to be here. And uh, I love All what right. you guys are doing. It's awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Doug. Doug. See you later. All right, my friend. So uh, interesting, isn't it? It's just fun to to talk to a spy and get perspective. And it's all about perspective. I mean, because you think about leadership right now and around the world. I mean, it's never more needed. We need leaders worth following, right? Versus people you have to follow. So 100x is important. So what's your last thought, Steve, for our time and for our listeners today? I think I think it's, um, for me, I agree with you. I think right now the, things are being shaken. I mean, in a way, they've not been shaken for a long time. The fact that Germany is actually supplying munitions now to war in Europe. The fact we've got, I, I think it, I think for me, it's it was asking me, what would I, what am I that committed to? that I'm prepared to be sacrificial for. And I found it quite a salutary challenge because in a sense, um, I won't say I've become fat, lazy, and you know, um, and in some sense, my life is not touched. It's quite a sobering thought watching people heading from the UK back to the Ukraine to go to war because they believe in something that much. And I think it was just for me, just that asking the question, um, what does my life really count for? What do I... If, if I only had a certain amount of time left, which we all do, am I as am I using it as strategically and as wisely? Because in a sense, I guess life gets heightened far more when you're not sure how many days you have left and what it is you're going for. So it was a little bit of a little bit of a challenge to me and to those out there to go. Actually, every day is a gift, and actually, in a sense, what you do with your time, with your talent, with your treasure, really counts. And ultimately, how much am I doing it for the things that I believe will make a difference for good in this world and how much of it is really for me? So that was my pioneer self-challenge in the mirror this morning of going, yeah. you know, how, how do I look myself in the mirror and go, am I really 
giving of my best today for the things I really believe in and want to sacrifice for. What about you? Yeah, I would say this. And for those listening, uh, what if we use this time? Like, So we can't control what's going on in the world, but we can control our intentionality to our families, our intentionality to our team and ourselves. So to go leading ourselves, like using this to go, yep, I'm not going to just going to abdicate from the world. What can I do? I can lead my family really well. I can lead myself really well. Um, I can pour myself into helping my team really well. So make this a call-up moment when you look at the world issues of just going, look, I can actually learn how to liberate people. I can I can actually learn how to do the things that are in my world. While mm-hmm. that is out of control, this is in control. And so that would be my encouragement to you. So um, great. Well, as always, if you want to uh, find out more information, giantworldwide.com. Um, and um, uh, Steve, we have a founder's link too, right? If you wanted yeah. to, to to check it out. Or, or free, account, free account on Giant. They can go to giant.tv backslash founders. And that means um, you get free access to all that we're doing. Um, and people will follow up with you to see how else we can serve you in your world with your team. So giant.tv backslash founders is Jeremy and mine's little empire. And uh, yeah, excited to be with you. Thank That's you great. for listening. Great guest, Jeremy. Cheers. Great job. It's fun. All right. Talk to you guys later. See you next time. Bye-bye. If you're looking for a speaker for your next event, whether live or remote, Jeremy Kubitschek speaks to audiences all over the world. Jeremy is a best-selling author, international speaker, and co-founder of Giant Worldwide. He has started over 20 companies while living in Oklahoma City, Moscow, Atlanta, and London. Whether you're looking to impact your executive team, your entire organization, or if you're hosting a public event, go to jeremykubitschek.com to learn more.